Good morning, everyone. I uh, welcome you here if it's your first time or your thousandths of time. <laughs> I don't know if we can pull off a thousand, but yeah, probably I suppose we could. 52 in a year. Let's see. I'm not real good at math. Where's my mathematician? She's in the back of the computer. I married a mathematician. Uh, <clears throat> it's coming pretty handy several times in a few projects. I built a piece of equipment a couple years ago to, to do uh, part of my farming. And uh, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. It's not in my notes. But it's a good story that ties in with marrying a mathematician. So anyway, I never took geometry in high school. Fatal mistake. Kids, if you take one class in all of high school, make sure you take geometry if you're ever going to build anything. You need to take geometry. Amen? All the kids are like ready to throw, give me a tomato. I'll throw a tomato at that guy. Geometry is critical. I'm here to tell you. Take it from somebody that didn't take geometry and needed it. It was critical. So I'm building this piece of equipment and I'm trying to figure out how to, how to figure out the, the rotation of the wing of this piece of equipment. And I got it. Tammy comes out and brings me a cup of coffee and I have the whole thing drawn out on the concrete floor of my shop at full scale taking measurements and everything. And I went through like five sticks of soapstone, drawing this thing out on my shop floor to try to get it right. And she says, oh, I can help you with that. And you wouldn't have to take up so much time in your shop. And there was a temptation. There was a temptation there to hold on to that pride. And I thought for a second, wait a minute. I married a mathematician. She's smart. Utilize that. So... She taught me a few things. So she was homeschooling the kids. She was homeschooling me. And then I decided, you know what? The Internet's big enough. I can get on the Internet and I can take a few geometry lessons. I just needed a few to get me through. Seems like that's how we do life. Just kind of getting through, right? Who's tired of all this chaos? Come on. I want to see a hand. I want to see a yes. I am tired. I will tell you up front, people on the Internet, I'm tired of the chaos. I'm done with it, right? Not exactly escapable, though. Uh, I'm sure those of you out there are tired as well. Uh, I love it talking to the talking to the old timers because uh, they instantly use this phrase. Remember the what? Remember them good old days. Remember them good old days. Things were so peaceful. We had lots of time to do what we needed to do. It wasn't rush, rush, rush. It was peaceful. It was peaceful. Are we ready for some peaceful time? Who's longing for some peaceful times? Like, I am ready for some peaceful times in our culture. Uh, Not sure they're going to come, but I desire to see some peace in our culture. And uh, we're going to get to that uh, as we go into where we're going here. And there's a book of the Bible specifically that talks about and it shares a story uh, about living in difficult times and peace coming. And uh, it's not, if you're thinking of our culture, our minds automatically kind of run to the back of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, and we think, ah, here it is, you know, and here's, here's what's defining our culture. And while that might be somewhat true, that's not where we're going today, um, there's a couple other passages, though, that we will look at as we're 
As we're rolling through this series called Stronger, what does God use? What elements does God use to grow us in our faith and make us stronger in our faith? How do we apply that? Today's message is going to be a lot of application. It might be, not only is there probably going to be a lot of application, but uh, today's sermon might come off like a blowtorch in the face. And I hope you guys buckle your seatbelts. And, and I want to insert a lot of application, but also with an idea, and we get to the end, how we can have peace, how God brings peace. And we're going to address issues in our culture today. Uh, what are some of these ideas that God uses to grow us through these difficult times? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10 tells us. If you... Th- Flash back a few books in the Bible and read the book of James, you will also see that application then, application, James is big on application. Application comes by what? It comes by implementing what our faith requires. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We have to be in the Word of God for our faith to grow, for us to be stronger. And then, not just James, but all the writers talk about this idea that that application, Jesus even talked about that application comes by uh, uh, implementing what that faith, what we're, we're wanting our faith to grow, but our faith can't just grow out here all by itself. Our faith grows in a sense, it's linked to, and it can't be unchained from the idea that we have to apply what we believe. We have to apply what we believe, we have to apply what we're learning what God is teaching us, what God is revealing to us, has to then come out in a physical manifestation in our life. Not to get God's uh, approval. We already have God's approval if you're a Christ believer. But because you have God's approval, then as His children, as His family, what you believe and what you're learning and growing, this is why it's important that, that you never stop growing in the Lord. There is no retirement plan for the Christian when it comes to his faith. It's not getting out there to the, you know, to the golden years and I can kick back and not do anything. Go hard, people, all the way to the end in your faith and in ministry. And that application comes by implementing what our faith requires. And that growth then, the two combined together, will, will grow us. And here's the key, especially in difficult times. Especially in difficult times will grow. If this sounds a little bit like front page news for today, uh, you definitely will will see where we're going. Two New Testament examples before we get to our main passage. Two New Testament examples that reveal these two things, the actions and the attitudes of this end times culture. Uh, What's going on around us? Jesus spoke about it. Uh, Jesus gave his inspired thoughts as he taught his followers on the Mount of Olives. And they asked him what it would be like at the end of the age. They're like, you know, teacher, rabbi, tell us, what, what's it, what's it going to be like? Like, what can we expect? How, how can we process what's going to be happening? What's it going to be like when you return? And he gave his answer in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 14. If you want to turn there, in my Bible, it's page, what, 1,231. Or if you're really lucky, you'll have a bubblegum wrapper as your bookmark. 
I don't know where that came from. Well, it probably would be some bubble gum. Right? Let's look at actions and attitudes that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, 4 through 14, as he's teaching his disciples. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come and will deceive many. Look at the attitudes and actions. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass before the end is... But the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Probably not what they wanted to hear. But that's what Jesus said. Then they will deliver you up to, be, to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That happened. All of his disciples were martyred except for John. And then many will be offended. Sounds familiar. Front page news. Many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Is that front page news? Does that sound like the, like the New York Times? Let's keep going. The many false prophets will rise up and deceive many and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Does that sound like what's going on in our culture? The love of many will grow cold. Here's Jesus' solution for His followers. That He who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures to the end, not checks out at halftime, not takes a break because it's uncomfortable, Not gets an attitude about our culture and our politicians. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, he who endures all of these things shall be saved in the end. I'm hoping by the time we get to the final final amen of the final prayer that um, we're both really challenged, but also willing to move forward what God's telling us to do. Jesus says in verse 14 of Matthew 24, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. We've been talking at the elder level a lot about, uh, it's kind of a a reoccurring theme of what it means to be a kingdom follower. What that looks like. And I think as believers, we really struggle. I'm telling you, I really struggle to maintain the right mentality of being a kingdom person first rather than wrapping myself in red, white, and blue. That's the honest truth. And we have to. We have to. It is imperative that we are kingdom followers of Jesus above everything. Everything under that can be a blessing. The fact that we live in this country, that we have freedoms, even though right now we feel like our freedoms are really being, being squished, that doesn't matter in, in regard, in, as opposed to being a kingdom follower of Christ. That is where it's at. That's the, the, the overarching theme and plan and purpose and, and leadership in our lives in a sense that we are kingdom followers of Christ. And if we just so happen to live in a time 
where there's freedom, where we enjoy that freedom, that's just a blessing from God. That's an extra thing. But it's not the main thing. The main thing is that we're kingdom men and women and kids. And this kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. The good news of Jesus, the fact that He came to set us free from our sins, that He paid for our sins, He's setting us, He sets us free from the, the, the power of sin and eventually the presence of sin. That gospel... That's what we have to be about. That's our message. That there is freedom, but it's not about living in this country and all that goes with that. And it's awesome. And I love this country. And I would die for this country. And many have. And I appreciate that. But if we put that above the kingdom of God, that's what he's talking about, not specifically. Take heed lest no one deceives you. That if you put the country of America above the kingdom of God, you're being deceived. And it has to stop. And it has to stop in the church. Jesus' solution to his followers, endure to the end. Endure to the end. Paul also wrote about many of the same concepts. No, no doubt being taught by the Lord himself. He wrote to his young protege, Timothy, if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, chapter 3, you'll see where Paul uh, reminds Timothy of, of, of a lot of these same things. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, sounds like Paul was reading the same page that Jesus was just preaching on. Jesus, referring, in, in my mind, referring often, or referring in what we just read in Matthew, is going to the next passage that we're going to jump into. Well, let's see what Paul has to say. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, verse 1, but know this, <coughs> that in the last days, perilous times will come. Really? Doesn't that sound like front page news? Paul's kind of on that same, same beat, right? Same chapter. Here's his description of actions and attitudes. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving. Here we go again with the unloving piece. Unforgiving. We see that so much. I, I, I'm so tired of this tit-for-tat stuff that goes on in our culture. People drudging up stuff from hundreds of years ago or, or somebody wants to run for office, the next thing you know his opponent's dragging up something off of Twitter that he said 15 years ago when he was a teenager? Really? We're going to hold people to, to such a high standard but yet uh, expect that we're held to a lower standard by slandering people that way? I'm done with it. I'm tired of it. Unforgiving. Next word, slanders without self-control. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, imagine that, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. If it feels good to you, if it feels good, feels right, if it's got the right vibe, whatever, however people say it today, 
Go for it, man. It's right for you is right for you. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. When we love God, we recognize and we see in God's love that we do have some boundaries. Verse 5, having, this one really gets me, having a form of godliness but denying its power. A form of godliness but denying its power. Do we know what that looks like? Do you guys recognize that in our culture? Here's what it looks like. Uh, 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 if you don't do what I want you to do, if you don't act and behave the way that I want you to act and behave, then automatically you're unloving. They're having a form of godliness, a form of goodness, and, and man, we, ha- we, have to, we have to get everybody corralled in the right corral and then shuffle them from one sheep pen to the next because that's what's best. There's a form of godliness, a form of order, a form of, of, of goodness, but where's the power behind it? A form of godliness, but denying its power. They deny the goodness and the graciousness of God, supplement it with man's wisdom, man's ideas, man's belief. And from such people turn away, Paul says. For this sort, for of this sort, are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Always wondered what a lady's perspective was on that verse. Seriously. No, I'm seriously. Like, what's a lady? Like, like Paul's saying, literally, these types of people, they target the women. They, they target the ladies. And not just any ladies, but ladies that are burdened down. Ladies that are struggling. Ladies that are having a tough go. Ladies that aren't set free. Women that are, that are struggling with, with various sins. And guess what? These guys sweep in like a bunch of vultures. It reminds me of when we were preaching through uh, the book of Exodus a couple years ago. And the very first thing that happens after the Hebrews cross the Red Sea, what? They get attacked from the Amalekites. And the Amalekites don't come from the Hebrews from the front. Instead, like cowards, they come in from behind and attack the most vulnerable. I think that uh, God had good reason for the rest of all through all of Scripture from that point forward, uh, God had a target on the Amalekites. And every national leader, nearly, all those that went to war against the Amalekites, they all battled. They all battled. God had a target on that. It's not right. It's not right that our most vulnerable in our culture are targeted by those that would promote some false doctrine. But it happens. That's why we have to be strong. That's why we have to grow in our faith. That's why we have to be in the Word of God. Verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. 
men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. My mom, if my memory serves me right, uh, weren't Janus and Jambres uh, uh, kind of the false prophets in, in Egypt? The magicians? Yeah. So they thought that they could kind of replicate, replicate what Moses and Aaron were doing, and they kind of, eh, kind of pulled, not till God got real, really going. Then Janus and Jambres had to hit the bench. They were ineffective. They'll progress no further, Paul says. Paul's solution, Paul's solution in verse 5, if you'll skim back up to verse 5, he says, turn away. He tells the church, he tells Timothy, he tells everybody that would be reading these pages, including us today, turn away. Don't get sucked in to that mentality. Don't get sucked into how the world operates and tries to solve problems. How the world tries to, to create solutions. How the world tries to deal with things that are uncomfortable. Turn away. Go back to verse 5. Have a, uh, let's see. And, su- and from such people, turn away. Don't buy into the world's way of thinking. With all these global actions and attitudes, because it really is a global thing as much as it is a local thing. I'll go back to my first question. How can anyone have peace? How can anyone have peace? That's the pivotal question in today's sermon. How, 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 can, how can we have peace? We're surrounded. We are absolutely surrounded by not just attitudes, but attitudes and actions that are completely carnal. Well, there's a similar situation that went on in the Old Testament. A thousand years prior to, give or take, 30 or 40 years, which now when you get to close to 50, give or take 30, 40 years, doesn't seem like such a big thing. Not like when I was 18. About a thousand years prior to this, there's a story in the Old Testament that talks about a very similar situation. If you would indulge me, turn in your Bibles or flip on your smartphone to Second Chronicles chapter 15. Just a little backdrop while you're getting there. Uh, Through Israel's history of being one nation, two nations, one nation again, all of that, there was a whole variety of different kings. A whole variety of different kings. This happens in the midst, I believe, of when there was two kingdoms, north and south. In those various times after Saul, the first king of Israel, and then, of course, after him, David, King David. Uh, You go into a whole litany of different kings that were mostly horrible. There was a few that stood out, and the ones that stand out really stand out because the rest of them were horrible kings. We're going to look at a story about a king that was a good king, uh, that did what was right, that took his people through difficult period, uh, yet where they were better off for it. Let's just read the whole thing, and then we'll examine some of the finer points. First, Second Chronicles chapter 15, 
says, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was what? Oh, raise your voice, people. Come on. Don't tell me that I'm the only one that drank a cup of coffee today. There was what? There was no peace. Sound familiar? Sound like today's headlines? Sound, what's, sound like what's going on in our culture? Just about the time we think we get a breath, the next thing you know, somebody walks into a Walmart distribution center and starts blazing away. Just about the time you think we get a breath and there's pro, peaceful protests turn to political riots and upheaval. And people are tearing stuff down and changing names and carrying on in our culture. There's no peace in our culture. Let's just face it, it is what it is. There was no peace at this time in Asa's reign. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all of the inhabitants of the land, so that nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. Well, if that doesn't sound like our country today, I don't know what else. Let me just read those two verses again. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor the one who came in. Does it feel peaceful when you guys go out? Does it feel peaceful when you come in? You can't even go in some places without being in turmoil. You can't even go out sometimes in certain places without being in turmoil. There's no peace. Not only was there no peace, but you got country coming up against country. You got great turmoil in all the inhabitants of the land. When the uh, you guys knew what um, when they first came out where, a couple months ago here, where they come out with the social distancing thing, six feet, you know, and so the CDC puts out this bulletin to all the states, you know, hey, we need people six feet apart and blah blah, 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 blah all that kind of stuff. And Montana, they replied with an email, six feet, that's awful, that's awful close, ain't it? You guys are all laughing, but I want to tell you that's a borrowed joke from the guy in the back row. I thought it was one of the funniest things I'd heard that week. That's awful close, ain't it? <laughs> you can't go in, you can't go out. Great turmoils in all the inhabitants of the land. So that nation was destroyed by nation. And city by city. Wow. If this isn't a picture of what's going on today. For God troubled them with every adversity. God allowed trouble to come their way. Point number two, probably not in an outline form. That uh, are we strong enough in our faith to understand that God's going to allow adversity to come our way? Like I've been, I've been hitting on this thing like an anvil. 
I've been banging on this thing time and time and time again. Because if we don't get the understanding and the realization that God allows adversity to come our way for our good, we're going to fail at being a believer. That's the bottom line. I'm serious about it. You will cash it in. Young people, if you don't get this from your parents or get it in church, come time for you to leave home, come time for you to get a job, you're going to be so tempted to say, forget it, it's just easier to go with the flow. Way easier to go with the flow. Join any cause, do whatever. You know, just exactly the descriptions that Jesus and Paul gave. Join that mentality. If you don't understand that adversity is coming your way at some point, maybe you're in the midst of it right now. Maybe you just got through with it. Or maybe it's coming your way. You've got to be light on your feet, believers. We, we, we use this term... We use this term, Coach, I think I've shared this before, but you've got to be on your toes. That means you're, you're not back on your heels. I'll tell you what, football, I'm coaching football. I tell these kids, I used to tell these kids, it started when Robbie was a little kid. I used to say, you know what, football, playing football and the physical side of football is a lot like Christmas. It's better to give than receive, right? That's what the contact piece of football is like. It's way better to give than receive. And you can't do that if you're on your heels. You've got to be up on your toes, ready to move, ready to strike, ready to do something. And we've got to be that way as believers in our faith. If we're on our heels, if we're on our heels, we're going to get mowed over by our culture. And that's exactly what was going on here. They're getting mowed over by the wrong culture. They were destroying one another. Nation against nation, city by city. As a culture, as a nation, as a community. I'm not disregarding that many of us have been through difficult times. But have we gone through these kind of difficult times as a society? Um, we haven't. I'll say that. We haven't. Previous generations have and have succeeded. Let's be honest. Let's, let's put that up on the board for a truth. Previous generations have gone through difficult times and have succeeded. But we're in uncharted water. I'll definitely say for my generation, we're in uncharted water with all this turmoil. There's no peace for anyone coming and going. Great turmoil. Nation versus nation. City versus city. I'm going to add, not add to the scripture, but I'm going to just take the little of liberty and say this, person against person. There's this beef. There's this beef, let's call it out. A great friend of mine, person I went to, to school with all through every year, sitting in her office, doing her thing, guy comes in. This happened this week. And, and, and this, is, this is small town Chihuahua. Guy comes in, gets all cranked up, starts yelling and screaming, his yelling and screaming turned to obscenities, nearly to the point that he had to be physically removed. Goes outside, starts yelling and screaming through her window of her office at her. And it had nothing to do with the business. It had nothing to do, I don't think, with him being a customer. It didn't have anything to do with what the business does. It was all about the social unrest. To the point they had to... Re they had to call law enforcement, which is exactly what they should have done. Person against person. 
We have to put our foot in the ground and to deny that attitude in our culture, and especially in the church. Say, I'm not going to participate in that type of thinking against one of my brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's got to stop here. So let's look at this whole story and see what God is doing in the midst of the turmoil that uh, in Asa's day. Let me get a drink. I'm thirsty. My water bottle does not have a straw. See, I'm offended at straws. I have a beef with straws. Right? It's a, if you didn't hear, she said it's a sippy cup. Uh, next week's sermon, Milk versus Meat, will be in Hebrews 5. And it sounds funny, but hold on to your hat. That's where we're going. So, thank you for reminding me. Uh, my mother's sitting over there, by the way. All right. Oh, now I've got a water stain. All right. Back to the top. Let's go. I'm excited. Now, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah. You know what? Here's, here's, the, here's the thing. So God says, we've we got to make some motion here. We've got to have some movement in what's going on in Asa's day. So the Spirit comes upon the prophet Azariah to go talk to Asa. The great news is, is that for every Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you. And let me tell you this, there should be strong, there should be continuity, I'll put it that way, not strong continuity, there should just be continuity between the Holy Spirit that's inside of less and the Holy Spirit that's inside of me. It's the same person. It's the same part of the Godhead. So God sends the Holy Spirit to come upon Azariah to go speak with Asa. And the first thing he says is, he says, hear me, hear me. The way of peace is to hear God. Verse 2, hear me, Asa, all of Judah. He expands it out to, to more than just one person, to the whole country. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If we want to be walking on the trail of peace, we have to be with God. We have to be with God. Whether that's, you, know, you, you consider that maybe your early morning devotions, whether your late night devotions, your midweek, you listen to the radio all day long, you listen to podcasts, you listen to, you're meditating upon God's word, you're hearing God's word, you're praying to the Lord, you're hearing from the Lord, you're spending time with God, but just be with God. We're in God's presence, from His perspective, we're in God's presence all the time. Do we think about it the same way? That we're in God's presence. Or is it just something we do in the morning, hoping, and here's the trick, we hope that, many of us do, I have many times, so I'll put myself in the camp, we hope that our morning devotions will be like putting a rabbit's foot in our pocket, and we walk around, everybody under the age of 25, Dennis has no idea what a rabbit's foot is, but everybody older thinks it's funny, right? 
That we put something, a little charm, a little, a little God's going to bless us if we do our devotions more than if we don't. Foolishness. Just be with God. Be in His presence all day long. The Lord is with you while you're with Him. If you seek Him, we've got to be seeking God. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. God never denies the person that's seeking Him. Are we seeking God? I got so thirsty day before yesterday that I, I, my water bottle is a little bit bigger. And my wife, bless her heart, she's awesome. She's such a good mathematician, she knows exactly how many big water bottles I need to drink every day. That's how good she is. But so I got one of these big dudes, and uh, I got in a situation in the middle of that heat a couple days ago where we had two truck tires that blew out on a truck on the road. We limped it into the farm, but they had to be changed because the feed was drying out. We're chomping feed over here on Zimmer Road. Of course, you guys know we live on Marble Valley Basin Road. Uh, the driver got it into the driveway, but what are we going to do? It's sitting there. It's flat. We need three trucks. Otherwise, the feed's going to get too dry. It's not going to be good. Crisis moment. So we tie into changing these truck tires in that high heat. And I'll tell you what, man, I couldn't chug that water fast enough. I was so thirsty. I mean, you're muscling heavy. You know, I got a big one-inch impact wrench and these big tires and we had to pull two off of a different trailer that were mounted and we just didn't have them sitting there so we had to pull them off swap them around it's a lot of work i chugged i was you couldn't have pried that water bottle out of my hands if you had a 15 foot cheater pipe that's how thirsty i was and i chugged two of them almost made myself sick because i probably drank too much water too fast are we taking that approach to seeking god like, are we that thirsty for God that we can't get enough? Are we seeking Him to that degree? And that's just a, a goofy story. Like, He has to be everything to us. Just like in that moment, that water was everything to me. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. He will not let you seek and not find. It's not who God is. But if, if you forsake him, he will forsake you. If you forsake God, guess what? It's all right. You don't want any of me? That's fine. That's, he'll be a gentleman about it. If you forsake God in your attitudes and your actions about our culture, guess what? God's not going to be there for you. He's not going to be on your side in that regard. For a long time, Israel had been without the true God. So there's some things here that, that mount up in a culture, in a people group, that make things difficult. That make these times of no peace, where you can't even go in, you can't even go out, you've got nation against nation, people against people, city against city, and all kinds of trouble. Guess what? Here it is. Here's the three things. You don't forsake God. Don't be without God. As a culture, we're without God in a sense, not as individuals. But we're without the true God as a nation. I think it's best described, I've heard it on the radio, that we have entered into an area, a time of being post-Christian. We better come to grips with that as a church.
that if we're post-Christian, that means we're out of the norm, and it's not the 50s Mayberry church anymore. It's not the Andy Griffith, you know, type of, of you know, ah shucks, play the guitar, you know, have a good moral lesson at the end of it all. For a long time, Israel had been without the true God, without the teaching priest. Without people to teach us about God, how in the world are we ever going to be discipled up? The critical element, the critical element in the growth of a church, the critical element in the growth of, a, of any of you as believers in me was the people that invest into our lives. Are we availing ourselves to those things? Are we embracing those things? Or is it just a Sunday get-together? That's why we're, we're, we're I'll, I'll just be real frank, there's just really raw, I'm really raw nerve today, and it might be because I've gone a couple days without a whole lot of sleep, who knows. But uh, we've got people in this church that are awesome teachers. You've seen some of them that teach on Sunday downstairs. And that's not the only venue by which they teach, by the way. We've got to get serious as a church about small groups. We've got to get serious about church and and about learning and being discipled on our Sunday night disciples. We're availing ourselves. We're willing to spend all kinds of money. You look at what the deacons did with the budget. They put all kinds of money into ministry, ministry, ministry. I know this all looks great. This all comes secondary to what your leadership believes is most important. And that's growing in faith. And reaching out to those around us. Are we availing ourselves or are we taking a cultural process? Eh, I don't have time for that. Or this or that's too important. Is that the route we're going to go in the culture that we are in? And if indeed it is a post-Christian culture? We're going to say we don't have time for God? We have to avail ourselves, making sure that we're good and we're in under good teaching and without law, without the Word. They didn't have the Word. They didn't have what God said and and how God said to behave and and how God said to to believe in faith and, and all that was... Well, for them, it was only the first part of it. We now have the whole thing like five times, ten times more than what he's talking about for them. We have at our disposal. I have it on my computer. I have it on my phone. We we all have dozens of copies of the Bible. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, you come and see me. I'll give you one right now. We have it in abundance collecting dust. So they were without the true God. They were without the teaching priest and without law. Here's a nice turn. But when, they, when in their trouble, verse says, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought Him, He was found by them. There's some action. There's some application. We have to turn. Turning's not just for, turning's not just for those that are around us that are not believers. Turning is for us. 
When we find ourselves being tricked and, and, and getting a few degrees away from God, still thinking that we're pointed towards God, you go home, do you go to my place and just outside our kitchen window is our satellite dish. You bump that thing just a little bit and guess what? I'm going to be ticked off because I won't have no reception. Because when that satellite dish is pointed just a fraction away from where it's supposed to be, it misses the satellite in the sky by miles. So we can be tricked thinking that we're facing God, and in fact, we're not really facing God. The writer says here we've got to turn to God. We've got to turn to God. I got to do something. I didn't think about this. There we go. Next thing we got to do is we got to seek God. We have to seek God. And we will be found by Him. Verse 7, the middle of verse 7, well, it says, verse 7 says, But you be strong. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So we got to be strong. We've got to be fish that can swim upstream. That's the, the, the truth of where our culture is. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want God to strengthen your faith, you better learn to swim upstream because that's where we're going. Don't let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded. Resist, resist, resist the temptation to have trembling hands in what you're doing and hear what God is saying. So he, Asa took courage and began implementing these changes, verse 8 through 13, really. The first thing that he did, the first thing that he did was start removing the idols. Those things, we've talked about this idea of idols, these things that, uh, that, that take God's place, regardless of how big, regardless of how small, they can be great big things. They can be statutes. They can be, they can, we, we see in the Bible certain places where, you know, uh, they build these massive monuments and statues, or they can be these little tiny things like uh, Achan had. It was an Achan hit him underneath the tent and paid a dear price for not disobeying God. We've got to remove the idols in our lives. I'm no exception. I'm preaching this as much to me as I am to anybody. Remove those idols and restore the altar of the Lord in our lives. Just what Asa did. Remove the idols. Get rid of anything that does not point you towards God or distracts you away from God or, or is a supplement for God and His provision in your life. And restore the altar of the Lord. The place where you come before the Lord. That's that whole idea that I talked about earlier when it comes to our devotions. That's in a sense an altar where we go and we spend time before the Lord. One on one. We can do it all day long really. The technology that we have. But do we have a restored altar? Do we have this understanding that there is only one source one source that runs my life. One source that means anything. One source that, 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 
that provides for me, one source that protects me, one source that I draw wisdom and discernment from. Because if we try to do a hodgepodge blend of, of who God is in my life and His provision and ex- trying to experience Him and yet draw for some worldly wisdom, it's going to be a mess. It's like trying to put, mix paint and paint a car. It's not going to work. It's going to look ugly. We have to restore the altar of the Lord in our lives. The next thing that Asa did there in that passage is he gathered up the people. And they offered up sacrifices. And they entered into a covenant with God. And they did it, offered, entered into a covenant with God with all of their heart and with all of their soul. Right? All of their heart, all of their soul. All of their mind. They, 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 they brought it all together and said, okay, here we are. We're yours. We're looking for you. We've been off base. We've been out in the desert. We've been blinded to what's going on. We've been struggling. We can't get along. We have no peace. Flush it all down the drain and focus on who God is and come together. And if the Christian church doesn't get this right, they will continue to fade. And they're getting it right in areas of our world where there's the greatest persecution. That should be a little heads up for us. Where there's the greatest persecution in the world in China, in the Middle East, various places, Southeast Asia. They're getting it right. Because they're doing these things. They're taking this and applying it to everyday life. And they're getting it right. And we're sitting here whining about what's wrong with why we don't get what we want. We're in danger, people. And I mean danger. If we don't restore the altar of the Lord, seek the Lord, restore it, remove the idols, gather up, and start coming together, heart and soul, before the Lord. The outcome? Look at verse 15. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought Him with all their soul, And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Finally, peace. Finally, peace. Peace comes with the price. Peace comes with the price that we set aside how we think life should go, and we let God dictate how life should go. They were so serious about it. They were so serious about where God was taking them. that they were willing to purge those who wouldn't go. Look at verse 13. Uh, I skipped over it so I could loop it back in. Verse 13 is a tough one. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took the oath before the Lord with a loud voice, shouting trumpets, rams, horns. They had a big party. But I'll tell you what, it was everybody in, and if you're not in, you're a goner. Sounds harsh. It sounds really, really, really harsh for God's people to have that mentality. But let me tell you what. Those that aren't in 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 their heart and their soul and their mind, they're going to check out sooner or later anyway. We know that from personal experience, don't we? There's a lot of people been playing around with God, playing around in Christianity, 
playing around here at church. But it ain't nothing. It's nothing to them, really. So they've kind of purged themselves. And it's horrible. And it rips my heart out. And it rips your heart out to know that people would walk away from God as such. And that they need to return in the same sort of a mentality that Asa's being told here as well. And there's still opportunity for that. So we, so we pray for them. And we love on them. And we reach out to them where we can. And we're not so shy that we don't confront them with the truth when it's needed. But they're going to purge themselves. These guys took it so seriously, they just said, all right, we're just going to do it as a country. Like, if you're not in for God, you're out. And I mean out. They took it serious. The reality is, is that death comes to everybody. Physical death. And spiritual death will come to those sooner or later that are without Christ. We have to quit fooling around about church and get serious. And there's great rejoicing, the word says here, with trumpets and rams, horns, shouting. All of Judah rejoiced at the oath. The fact that as a nation they were getting serious before the Lord. I love this uh, next three verses. Because <laughs> the reality was, Asa wasn't finished. He had a little more work to do. He got personal. And are we willing to get personal with what's going on in our lives before the Lord? Verse 16 says, And also, he, ref- he removed Micaiah, the mother of Asa, the king, from being the queen mother. E. I always wanted to do that because my, my girls do that a lot. Something I said there kind of go, E. Right? He's saying, uh, Sorry, Mom. Your title is stripped from you. Your title is stripped from you. You're being removed. She will always be his mom. She will not be the queen mother. The Bible says because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, and Asa cut down her obscene image, and then crushed it and burnt it by the brook Kidron. Let me tell you what, guys. If there's issues in your home that need dealt with, deal with them. It doesn't matter who it is, deal with them. Because without dealing with them, you just cycle right back around and right back around and right back around if we don't deal with the idols that are in our area of responsibility. If we don't deal with them, sorry mom, got to go. You're out. See, he had to take the oath too. He had to take the oath of a, not just a head of a household, but the head of the whole nation. And he says, this has got to go. It's got to go. If we're going to do this, we're going to do it right, and we're going to do it completely. It's got to go. Remove the idolatry regardless of who's involved. Now, if it seems like I'm swinging a sword instead of a scalpel... <laughs> You might see it that way, and to a certain degree, the inflection of my voice probably bears that out. 
There's been times where things that I've said here have, were turned and immediately implica- uh, applied uh, to a negative outcome. Um, the story is not completely written yet, so I will say that there's still room for that ending to come. It takes discernment. It takes loving, true, biblical wisdom, God's wisdom on how to address these types of situations. I know that when I get kind of up about this, it sounds like, hey, he just, you know, I mean, I could give you guys a physical demonstration. My mom's sitting here. Uh, although I know she'd go kicking and screaming, and she knows that I'm not talking about that necessarily, but it takes understanding and biblical wisdom to say, hey, this has to go. This has to go. We can't still have these pieces of idolatry hanging around. And men, it's time to rise up. It's time to do like Asa did, have some courage, do the right thing. He removed the idolatry regardless of who was involved. And what did he else did he do? He replaced the idolatry with true worship. It wasn't a harsh act when you put the two together. Verse 18 says, He also brought into the house of the Lord the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated silver and gold and utensils. So there was a removal of idolatry. There's a replacement of that idolatry with true worship. With true worship. You can't just say, hey, we're going to sweep the house and then leave it sit empty. You can't just sweep your life if you're willing to do so. You can't allow it to just be flushed out without the replacement of the glory of God, with true worship, with the application that they, that they talked about here in this chapter, or that Jesus talked about, hey, just endure. We have to endure. There's a, repla- there, there's a replacement not only in the physical piece, but in the mental piece as well. So we get rid of the idolatry, we cash it in, but it's replaced with God and the true worship of God. We have to make that switch. And guess what happened? All the fighting, all the fighting and the turmoil stopped because of God did what? He captured their hearts. God captured their hearts for Him. They sought Him. They repented. They turned towards God. He met them there in that place. He captured their hearts. The victory was won because hearts were captured. Not because one political ideology rose above the other. It's not physical. It's not social. It's definitely not political. It's not viral. It's not about the bug, whatever the bug is. It's not a physical battle. God's all about changing the hearts first. I've said it many times. I'll say it again in this sermon. God parents from the inside out. 
God affects you. He affects me from the inside out. Not, not modifying my behavior. If you want to know where God is, look at the culture and just go the other way. You'll find Him. Swim upstream. Because the culture wants to impose everything from the outside in. That if you do this, then that. And God says, that, that ain't the way I work. I want repentant hearts. I want melted hearts. I want people down low before me, not because I force them to, but because they choose to be there. And they choose to come before me like Isaiah, coming before the Lord. Whew, he was out flat. He was out flat before the Lord. The worship team will come on up. I'll close with these four questions. A little self-check for all of us. Is your heart melted by God? Are our hearts melted by God? By who God is? Like nothing else matters but that. Are our hearts melted by God? And the second one, right to the title of the sermon, are we turning and seeking and finding Him? Are we turning, seeking, and finding the Lord? Alternatively, are we more worried about the social issues while our own sin and idolatry goes unchecked? Are we all cranked up about what's going on in our community and what's going on in our society and what's going on in our nation and in our state and how bad our governor is? Are we way more worried about that than the unchecked sin in our own hearts and the idolatry that's in our lives? Because if we are, we're just burning up time and space. Are we more worried about the social issues while our own sin the way we treat people, the way that uh, at times we're tempted to not love God and not love one another, and hence end up in idolatry, goes unchecked. Fourth question is kind of linked to the third. When confronted by God, are we drawing courage by that confrontation? To do what's right and holy. When God confronts us, first of all, can we hear that confrontation? Do we have that relationship with the Lord? Can we, can we hear His voice? Can we see it in the Scripture and not just put it away, not just say, I'll deal with that another time, sweep it under the carpet, put it in the closet? When God confronts us, are we willing to do what Asa did are we willing to do what he did and draw courage to do the next right thing? The next right thing. Are we willing to parent that way? Are we willing to relate in our marriages that way? Are we willing to relate in the church that way? Are we willing to relate in our communities that way? To do the next right thing. 
not for the sake of rights that we would have as Americans. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak up. We live in a, an unprecedented, I, I shared this a couple weeks ago, we live in an unprecedented spot in history. We're the oldest you know, democratic republic in the world by a long shot. So we have some civil rights. And I think it is right that we talk and work within those things. But if they're so far above the kingdom of God and what God is saying to do, that we don't even think about that as much as we think about our rights, we're off base. We draw courage to do what is biblically and godly right and holy. Worship team, let's go.